Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Stephen. I'm Alva. On this week's New Statesman podcast... We talk about... John Burko's exit. Whether Labour would benefit from shifting to an unequivocally pro-Remain position. And the verdict from the Court of Session. So I'm joined this week by Alva Ray to discuss an exciting week in British politics in which we have... Well, I was about to say we've inched closer to a general election. I mean, have we inched closer to a general election? I think so, yeah. Even though we haven't properly had that decision made yet, I think that we all know it's coming. It's just going to be in the depths of winter, either like late November or early December, because basically Labour have no reason not to vote for it as soon as this is like sealed in law and they've got that extension. So yeah, that'll be exciting. It's one of those weird things where only the process of sitting down to record the podcast makes me realise how much has happened this week. When I think, oh, did we discuss X last week? And then I think, oh, no, we didn't, because that hadn't happened. So mm. one of the things which has happened since the last episode is an ongoing argument, which has been decisively won by the Novemberists slash even the Decemberists, about whether or when it was in the opposition's interest to hold this election. Mm. It's odd, because I think it's maybe the first and probably only Labour row I've ever covered in which there is not, like, a weird secret subtext. Yeah, everyone's arguing from really sincere positions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I understand the interest, but I find so much of that debate just so annoying because, (laughs) because Labour are obviously going to vote for a general election eventually and quite soon. And I actually just thought that their strategy of forcing Boris Johnson to go and seek this extension, have that enshrined before they have their general election was just so sensible. And, you know, like that just, yeah, so, so legitimate and people sort of that using that attack line that they're running scared. I think, you know, in some, like some people are scared, but not for that reason. It's also, I wouldn't have done it, which we should talk about in a a second. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing I think is really striking about it is that it obviously makes sense for Boris Johnson and entirely the correct call on his behalf to go, I want an election, lol, you're scared. But I think one of the the sort of recent problems of social media Mm -hmm. is that occasionally a political party has to say something deeply vacuous in order to get out of a hole, right? Just to have something to get through a television interview or get through an awkward appearance in the House of Commons. But now a a much larger group of people feel obliged to pretend that this stupid statement is not stupid. People going in the 2016 locals, oh, actually Labour have held their ground. They had not. They just hadn't. And in the same Mm -hmm. way, like, 
you can critique it, and we should get onto that because I think it's more interesting. But yeah, it, it's it's really obvious. Like their their rationale was not complex. Like I can't remember who it was, but you know, some a journalist who I usually think is quite switched on was just like the line here is a bit confused. And I was like, I'm sorry, the Labour Lib Dem line here is simplicity itself. It's yeah, we want an election, we'll vote for one. We don't trust you as far as we can throw you. Therefore, we are going to wait until X date. And then the interesting thing, which in an odd way I think then got undercovered, is the debate about whether or not they were better off waiting until it had secured royal assent, which it obviously now has, or better off waiting until the extension. So you are in team extension. Yeah, but I feel bad for them that it's been so misrepresented. I was in a taxi home when that story was breaking and the headline was on the radio was something literally like Labour fails to vote for a general election, which I just thought was so disingenuous. And, and you know, there was no follow-up and then there was some sort of government quote, you know, oh, they're running scared. I think that it was, yeah, such an eminently reasonable position from all of the opposition parties. And... I mean, I hope that it won't wash with people. I liked your point earlier in the week that, you know, attack lines should be based around people's pre-existing judgments of people. You know, I don't think that there's a pre-existing sense that Jeremy Corbyn doesn't want an election because it's all he's been talking about. So if you're going to use that as an attack line, you know, you should go for something that hinges on people's fears about him or instincts about him rather than that he's a chicken. And obviously, like, that line won't work when they are in a general election campaign. Yeah, I, I do think kind of ultimately like attack should always go with the grain. Yeah. If I were them, I would have just gone with he's playing politics. Like his whole appeal is based around the idea. You know, if you look at his almost uniformly terrible uh, ratings, the the bits that you would try and build from build out a position of strength from are that he's seen as not like other politicians. Mm. It just seemed to me a bit wild to, for them to not just go with he's just being another politician rather than that he's chicken. Although I think mm. the people should be even more aggrieved to the other three opposition parties who, as you say, have the same position and just have been completely shut out. Which, mm-hmm. But yeah, so why do you think it is the right call to go later and not now that it's received royal assent? I mean, because I, I do genuinely buy the argument that there's a small possibility that Boris Johnson won't actually go to seek the extension. And I actually also, I know that you disagree with this, I actually do think that there's a possibility that it will be quite bad optics for Boris Johnson to be seen to be going to deliver this extension. Like, there's no wriggle room anymore. I think it kind of calls his bluff. Separately, I think that, you know, he has had opportunities to to force no deal before you know like they could have I think they could have tried harder in the Lords if they were really intent on no deal they could have you know tried to make that work I think you know it's sort of exposing his position that he says he wants no deal but he isn't necessarily trying that hard he's not going to do something mad I think like resign or refuse to seek the extension I expect he'll back down the way he's backed down on other things he doesn't really want no deal but it is also in quite a flimsy position seeking a deal so I think it's more humiliating for him to have to go through this whole process rather than fight an election. Yeah. I kind of think those those all kind of make sense, right? And I think in an odd way, despite the fact it doesn't... It's why I actually did kind of find it weirdly liberating because, one, it was slightly strange not to be covering a row in the Labour Party where we couldn't do a blog going, this row about X is actually about Y. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it is genuinely open which one they ought to have picked. And I think the because yeah I completely agree right there's an op- although I'm dubious that he 
would pull a fast one because I think the revealed preference of the government is to back away from the cliff already. Yeah. But if I were an MP, I, I wouldn't want to bet and particular I wouldn't want to bet anything I was willing to lose on the idea that that would continue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there are a couple of risks in different groups of people are taking, and I'm going to kind of go in in sort of reverse order. The big risk that the Greens and the Liberal Democrats are taking, and indeed Plaid Cymru, is that in an election time, you you know they have to get a degree of coverage. Outside of elections, the broadcasters can default back to their preferred position, which is being like politics is about red v blue. And occasionally we get someone, you know, from the fringes of, of the right on as well. And you don't get to be talked about at all, which we've seen with the coverage of the, you know, Labour is blocking the extension. Well, if the Lib Dems didn't want this extension as well, the Tories could get one via passing a one-line bill. There are more than enough Lib Dem lords for them to, to be able to, to do a deal to, to do that. This is, mm-hmm. this is only happening because the opposition parties are united. And I kind of think that if you're the Greens, your political uh, aims are to be honest not hurt at all by being seen to be as one with the Labour Party yeah but if you're the Liberal Democrats I think then the risk to them of being squeezed out of the story being seen as an adjunct of Labour when they are desperately trying yes to continue to take votes from the Labour Party mm-hmm. but they know that if they if they can get to kind of the escape velocity of 25% where they suddenly start to be able to pull off really wild gains under first past the post they need to 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 make inroads into that Tory vote being equated with Jeremy Corbyn who is deeply unpopular with the Tories they are trying to win over just feels like a mistake to me and and this is I guess the bit I struggle to convince myself of mm-hmm. is what if he does suddenly go oh i can live with a border in the irish sea and get and essentially just pass the withdrawal agree- the withdrawal agreement mm-hmm. with a different backstop are they just boxing themselves into a situation where instead of being able to fight an election when brexit is still unresolved they suddenly the the stop brexit party when brexit has happened yeah and also i mean i think related to that i think that the longer this continues the more I think people will be aware maybe they become aware immediately during an election campaign anyway but I think the more people will be aware that given the Liberal Democrat position on Brexit and the Conservative Party on Brexit the Liberal Democrats can only really form some sort of government with Labour and I think that that would just be in you know the Conservative members who they're trying to woo I think the longer they're aligned with Labour the more it'll be really obvious to them that the Liberal Democrats are so unlikely to win a majority that even if a Liberal Democrat wins in their seat, they are probably voting for Corbyn to be Prime Minister. Yeah, I think, although obviously they've been very clear that they would not support no. that thing, will be. It, I yeah. do think that the logic you've just laid out there feels sort of impeccable. And then from Labour's perspective... Obviously, they lose slightly less than the... Well, essentially, they have this problem that, yeah, the others have to fight for coverage. They have to fight for fair coverage. Mm -hmm. And there's an argument to be made, and indeed some people uh, in the Labour leadership who are pro a long campaign have explicitly said that the reason why they think this is a good idea is is that it's two months, pretty much, in which politics will be covered as if the big two are both polling at their 2017 levels. And they, and they said, which helps us because it will help us get. Yeah, it helps. Yeah, us that's to, such a good point. Um, yeah. So I think I think there's there is a strong argument there. The reason why I think it is possibly a mistake on the labour the labour side, and obviously I don't think it's possibly a mistake on the Lib Dems. Yeah, it, it is I think a finely balanced calculation, but one where I'm definitely of the view that they should have just gone gone fast. Is 
one of the reasons why Corbyn had a good week last week, and even though he didn't have a, a long enough time of having a good time for it to start showing the polls, I think if it had continued in that vein, he would have started mm. to, to pick up, is because it moved politics away from how do you feel about Brexit, something where he feels awkward, looks awkward, and Labour is split, to mm-hmm. should Parliament be in control of its destiny, uh, an issue in which he is knows what he thinks, is really fluent on it, actually speaks quite well in the House on it, and the whole of the Labour Party is united. And mm-hmm. I just think that, you know, the, the fact that we've immediately started to kind of lapse back into Labour's Brexit wars, to me, just feels like, ultimately, like, doesn't this just mean that we're going to have, like, two months of their unity position kind of coming under attack from people who want to vote for a deal, people who want no Brexit... I just think it's a mistake. And on that note, obviously today Tom Watson has made a speech calling for a second referendum before a general election, kind of scuppering that show of unity from Labour. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, so that means we are back to to things Labour before we can happily go. The row about X is actually a row about Y. Mm -hmm. Because the sort of amusing thing here, right, is Tom Watson's diagnosis of Labour's problem is identical to the private view of the Labour leadership for a long time, which is that you just need to get Brexit done as an issue. Yeah. So you can then effectively deliver the speech he did. Oh, Lord, I can't remember which which town it was that he gave it in. But he, you know, he had a speech which was clearly semi-scheduled in, well, was scheduled in advance. And I think clearly the idea was it might have happened after a, a breakthrough in the Brexit process, where Corbyn essentially went, you know, if you're in Tottenham, you're up against it, you're having a tough time you voted Remain. Mm-hmm. If you're in Mansfield, you're up against it. Your salary, page, your paycheck doesn't last to the end of the month. You're having a tough time. You voted Leave. But can't we all agree that the economy isn't working for ordinary people? Mm-hmm. And and I think, despite the, the very facetious way I did that, I, I think they are 100% correct to believe that that is the political position they need to get to. Yes. However, and essentially, right, the Tom Watson argument, which is the way you get there, is this parliament holds a referendum. And the kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink argument that some people in the Labour leadership made is the way that you got there was for the 50 Labour MPs who wanted the deal to pass to actually vote for it and for them to be able to move on. The problem in both instances is that you can't get there, right? Like, this parliament is not going to vote for a referendum. Mm. The 50 Labour MPs, I think, are never going to to do it. Which means the argument is really just like one person going, I'd like to stay in the EU, and the other one going, I'd kind of prefer us not to, and just going round and round in circles. But yeah, you've written I'm, about it. Well, I, well, I'm just, well, since you mentioned those 50 Labour MPs, can we debut your, your coinage for them oh. as deal curious? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just love it. Um, we need to get that out there. I, yeah, I'm really, really interested in that because I think definitely I'm getting Brexit fatigue. And I'm quite interested in these. You've only been here for a month. (laughs) But I've been observing it the whole time. But, you know, I think that it does. I mean, it seems just eminently reasonable to me that the way you get out of this is by voting for a deal. And so these people who have had the, you know, this position for a while, I don't know, Labour leavers who are kind of at odds with their party. Um, and then people who just sort of want to get it done, don't want to be seen to delay again, people in northern seats. I think that just makes sense. And it's so funny that, like, that being quite a reasonable position is so at odds with the way it's very unlikely to happen. I just don't know how we're going to get anyone to convene around anything if they can't vote for a deal. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So John Burko has stepped down as, well, will step down on the 31st of October or at the next election, whichever is sooner. Oh, wait, I've suddenly realised that form of words doesn't matter anymore because it will definitely be on the 31st of October. Yeah. There cannot be an election between before then, now. Yeah, bye-bye Burko. So I suppose the two front runners would be Lindsay Hoyle and Harriet Harman. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that feels about... Well, it's hmm, it's interesting. Uh, if I'd gone first, I would have said that, and now I'm not so sure. Right, like, yeah. yeah, I'm quite fond of both of them on a kind of personal level, and I think that they, uh, they both have exactly the kind of personality you would need for that job. I think Lindsay Hoyle, you know, attracts so much affection from people on all sides of the house. He's just, like, an incredibly warm, friendly person with a lot of experience having been the deputy. And then Harriet Harman, mother of the house. I think that line, you know, we need another woman. You know, there hasn't been a woman speaker since Bessie Boothroyd. I think that's quite compelling. So, but I feel like, you know, they, they appeal to similar people, you know, like friendly Tory women MPs could be swayed by either of them. I don't know which way they'll go. So it's odd because the reason why I kind of go, oh, well, are they the front runners? Is that, and I'm not going to sort of bore podcast listeners with like, you know, another bit of like why I think Harriet Harman is great. But I, I just think essentially she is in the kind of what we'd like is more, is, you know, five more years of John Burko, but mm-hmm. perhaps with, you know, a slightly less combative style. Yeah. Whereas the kind of position that Hoyle and then people like Chris Bryant, I think you can, there's an open question about, the extent to which Chris Bryant is is correct to say he would be as significant a departure from Burkoism as he is running as. But I kind of think the the thing is I basically can't conceive of a situation in which Harriet Harman could add to her, her vote. Right? I think she will do very well, but I kind mm. of basically feel like there's quite a hard ceiling because there's a group of people right, who essentially what I think of as like, Brexiteers who are by instinct backbenchers, right? You saw that with some of the tributes to to him, people like Edward Lee, who yeah. essentially are hundred percent signed up supporters of the the kind of Burko approach of sticking it to the executive, some of whom uh, supported him against the Conservative government's attempt to get rid of him in 2015, who basically what they kind of want from someone who basically like, they're like, so I want the guarantee that I'll get to keep my UQs. You'll continue to be horrible to the executive but mm. you will play a straight bat on the Brexit issue and I won't be blindsided by your innovations. And I kind of think that it's so hard for someone like Harriet to get the support of those people. I don't really buy that those people are going to believe Chris Bryant's whole, I hear that you, you don't like Burko, well, I'm nothing like him. I just don't buy it. Yeah. Which is why I kind of think, although I kind of assume that unless there is, unless something changes, based on talking to MPs at the moment, it will be, you know, Hoyle, Harmon and, and Eleanor Lang, I think, in about that order, probably, at the moment. I just can't work out where the extra votes for Harriet to overhaul Lindsay come from. Yeah, I think that's a good point. 
I don't exactly know where Lin- what Lindsay Hoyle's standing would be with, as you say, that group of sort of instinctive, uh, like stick it to the executive backbenchers on the Tory side. I don't know what their opinion of him would be, whether it would be that different, but... I suppose he's more of a known quantity than she is. Well, that's things. He does have the major advantage, and he is the only candidate who well, has done it already. Yeah. yeah. So the other kind of sort of big-ish political development is that the Court of Session has ruled that Boris Johnson's decision to prorogue Parliament was deliberately done to stymie Parliament and is therefore unlawful. Yeah. So not that prorogation was unlawful, but that the advice he gave to the Queen was unlawful, which is not really much better. Yeah, I'm wondering how it will play out. There was talk of MPs, you know, going back to the chamber, forcing them to sit. It's all becoming really stupid and weirdly political about, of course, they went to the Scottish courts to get that verdict. But, yeah, it's not looking good for Boris. Yeah, because essentially the only difference was that the High Court in England went it this is not judiciable. This is a political issue. We, we we don't have standing here. The courts have set. The Scottish courts went. Okay, we've got standing here. How, from a legal perspective, I don't think there is a particular difference. And I kind of think also like anyone without an axe to grind concludes very quickly, even if they think that it was perfectly fine for the government to do it, that the government was doing it to mess around with the Brexit process. Well, yeah, absolutely. Like, so it's just a question of whether the courts can can rule on that kind yeah. of thing, and they've decided that they have. Yeah, I mean. I mean, you had Jacob Rees-Mogg saying a few months ago that, you know, Parliament should be prorogued if necessary to get Brexit done. And then a few months later, lo and behold, he goes off to the Queen to get prorogation. And he says it wasn't for that reason. I mean, I think no one, no one believes that. Yeah. And so it is, you know, I think the Supreme Court, I think, will, very, will imagine actually be quite a narrow set of judgments one way or the other, because they will either go, we think we have jurisdiction and obviously your bank to rights jog on. <laughs> or it's, we don't think you have jurisdiction, we have jurisdiction and go ahead. I kind of think, although there are lots of embarrassing votes left, the damage has been done. They tried to prorogue to stop extension and they couldn't do it. Mm. Now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask Us. Ah, see, uh, went off without a hitch this week. Um, <laughs> the question is from Georgia H, fresh from her appearance in Kafka's The Trial. So that was a really bad and deeply obscure joke, but um, anyway. Um, Some people will enjoy it. If Labour were to unambiguously back remain in a hypothetical pre-Brexit general election, as per Tom Watson's suggestion, would it prevent them ceding votes to the Lib Dems? There's a follow-up question that I imagine we're going to get to organically, so I'm going to park that one. But yeah, so what do you think? I think I think yes. I mean, I can understand why they aren't backing a Remain position. But basically their problem is already that they're hemorrhaging support from Leave voters. And I don't think that they would make it any worse by having a completely remain position. And I think that, yeah, they're at real risk of losing a lot of seats to, or like losing a lot of votes indirectly to the Lib Dems. So I think they should, you know, they may as well go for it. I think this this is, a I think, the political question that I both know is really important, but I'm also most aware that I really struggle to answer. Because essentially my original pre-2016 
sorry, pre-2017 election thesis wasn't if you wanted to stop Brexit, you would vote for a party that wanted to stop Brexit. And then obviously a lot of people who wanted to stop Brexit did not vote for a party which wanted to stop Brexit. And despite the fact that, yeah, actually there are lots of things that you can fairly say Jeremy Corbyn has not been honest about, but actually his position on on whether or not the referendum result should be accepted, he has been uh, incredibly explicit on, and the confusion has been people just flatly denying than what he said he said and getting very angry and saying that when people say he said this then actually they're just being mean and he does have a secret plan to remain and my theory for a long time was that essentially remain leave is a, a values division social liberalism versus social authoritarianism big cities versus small towns graduates versus not yeah all of that which we don't sort of need to, to re- sort of relitigate and and corbyn in many ways just has so much kind of in other words, he has such a strong Remain brand, right? Yeah, like in the in the same way that kind of I think if you so if you were like pointed to someone carrying like a tote bag from like the London Review of Book, Review Bookshop, which is a great bookshop, literally is I think my favourite shop in, in 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 I was about to say in London, but probably actually in the world. But yeah, um, mine too. Yeah, I'm just always so impressed at how much they fit into such a small space. Like, and the cake shop is so good. Yeah, it's just oh. such a lovely. A lovely uh, place to go, but if if you asked me to guess the the remain leave inclination of someone walking out of that bookshop carrying a full LRB tote bag, I would go. I, I reckon they're a remainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, if I spoke to them, I would I would have lots in common with them. I would probably enjoy the work of James. They would probably enjoy the work of James Meek. Uh, you know, I, I imagine I would assume, unless I had some pretty compelling proof of. And so my theory essentially used to be that Corbyn like this hypothetical person we've invented coming out of the LRB shop, Mm -hmm. just had such a strong, like, Remain-adjacent vibe that he didn't... uh, The reason why those people were effectively willing to look the other way is that they basically just thought, he's my guy, and that is why they just didn't, like... They just kept voting for him, even at the point where... Because I think the thing is that... Mm -hmm. I think the Labour leadership has been naive about the extent to which you need to, like, advocate for things, but... People forget that before before the change breakaway, he had explicitly come out for a very specific, negotiable form of a very soft Brexit, right? And up until the change breakaway, people went, oh, you know, it's cake, so it won't happen. Uh, oh, you know, he hasn't been clear, so maybe he's going to secretly back rem- uh, remain later on. When they'd already taken quite a big political risk by, by adopting a pro-Brexit position. And I basically, my theory then was... The social liberal bona fides will see him through. Then the change split happened, and it, yeah. it clearly unblocked something, and the Lib Dems have been the beneficiaries of that. And I kind of think that maybe those people are just... And now Labour has actually moved into a fairly remainy position with this, like, incoherent, like... Well, it's not... It's perfectly coherent. It's just silly. You know, we will negotiate a Brexit in which we plan to put it to a referendum, and our own opinion, our own position in that referendum is TBC... I sure hope this will be conducive to a good exit deal. Um, <laughs> like, so they essentially, right? They they now have a position where, like, their their position on this issue is as pro Remain as Tim Farrens was in the run up to twenty seventeen, but it is not. But yeah, it's it, not pro Remain enough now when not you have pro, the Lib Dems. Yeah. Yeah. And I basically just kind of feel like, and this is why I get nervous because I realise what I'm saying is, having looked at those people and went, they're never going to make the jump. I now look at them again and I go like, okay, well, are you going to make the jump back? I underst- I can understand why they've ended up where they are, but I'm still slightly perplexed by the process. 
And so I just think that probably at this point, Corbyn's credibility with those voters is sufficiently low that I don't buy that changing their Brexit position does fix their problem. Yeah, I feel like maybe much earlier, uh, like a, a clear like pro-Remain position or like second referendum position would have been beneficial. But and I think it's like in a hypothetical world, it would be beneficial to them even now. I actually think that. But I also feel like it's definitely not going to happen. And really the way in which they could boost their votes would be to get Brexit somehow behind them and to focus on other things. Yeah, I guess that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, like looking back, looking forward to to the conference season. Yeah. Like, I kind of think, like, at this point, it's kind of one of the things, like, well, it couldn't hurt, right? Like, it, yeah. Like, I, I think their their leave. Well, I don't know, because their leave voter problem, I think, is primarily about other things, right? It's mm. yeah, it's about a wider sort of swathe of issues, and leave voters are less fond of the Labour Party in general and Corbyn in particular than Remain voters. But I kind of think, like, seeing as the Labour Party is irritating Leave voters already with its, you know, like, its kind of, its actual policy position, but also what I think of as its, like, its soft cultural position, right? In the same way that, like, a certain type of person will go, both actually in a positive or a negative way, people will say, oh, you know, Corbyn is into identity politics. And it's just like, have you looked at or heard, you know, like, or heard him speak or thought, <laughs> like, he's just like, you, you, just, you just cannot draw up a credible definition of what the word identity politics means to think that mm. that is particularly like Corbyn's wheelhouse. Yeah. But again, because he's kind of, he gives off good vibes to the type of person who does have that type of politics and the type of person who opposes it. And I kind of think because of those vibes he gives off, I just... I still just think it would be an act of lunacy for them electorally on top of everything else to be like, by the way, that thing you voted for, we'd reverse it. Yeah. My question is, is is, is the second referendum position that they now have like one of these thing, weird things where it's just like, it's like really, it's it, it's sufficiently remainy that you're irritating a lot of Leave voters, but mm. it's not getting any, well, not getting enough Remain voters back. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just such a risk. And I feel like, when people are calculating which way they would vote, they're not thinking that many steps ahead. You know, if you really don't want Brexit to happen, you would vote Lib Dem. And it doesn't really matter whether Tom Watson makes his overtures about needing a second referendum soon or Emily Thornberry saying that she, you know, would vote remain. I think you're still left in this situation where you think the Labour leadership are, you know, are sympathetic in some ways to leaving that have been their position and eventually there'd be some sort of referendum and there'd be no guarantee. Yeah. And I kind of think, so the, the Georgian's follow-up question, which I think is, is also sort of worth pondering, is what do we think the implications of that would be for Corbyn's reputation as someone who does not do politics as usual? Yeah, I mean, he, he's just really, really struggled on this, I think. That's why I just think it would never happen and it would have needed to happen long ago for it to work. Yeah, I mean... I actually think that, I mean, if he came out and said that he backed Remain tomorrow, people would, you know, accuse him of flip-flopping or whatever, but it might still kind of boost him because that's what people have been lobbying for for so long from him. But I don't know, what do you think? I mean, I don't. I just don't know. I think, one, as, as with you, I find it so hard to... I start yeah. to think, what do I think would happen? And the fact that I basically can't get the bit of my brain to go, yeah, but that wouldn't happen, would it? I yeah. can't get that bit of my brain to switch off sufficiently to start working out how I feel about the hypothetical. Mm. I kind of think, right, that ultimately the big known unknown, right, is that the, the 
Conservative Party's position positioning is effectively to scream at the type of voters who this is painful, who the Labour's Brexit position is painful for them on the Remain direction. We're not for you. We're not for you. We hate you. And we're planning to tear up everything you like about the country. Um, <laughs> and It's punching. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, the interesting thing is, is so far, actually, if you look at the Conservative poll performance in the polls, right, they're actually still doing fairly okay with Remain voters compared to their already quite poor performance with Remain voters in mm-hmm. 2017. There's been a significant shift of some to the Lib Dems, but there's still there's still some flaw, you know, left left to find. And I kind of think that in an odd way, right, the the flip side of that message they're sending to their own voters and the Lib Dems are kind of going, come to us, come to us, is that it probably also at the margins helps Labour to go, but look, the Lib Dems aren't going to win Warwick and Leamington. They aren't going to win Bishop Auckland, right? They aren't going, you know, we are the lever you need to pull to stop this man who doesn't like you and you don't like. And I kind of think that, in an odd way, the kind of position of you'll still get a referendum under Labour in a targeted way is... I basically think... It, I feel like if that... If those yeah. voters are are going to forgive Labour sufficiently to vote to stop Boris, which is really all... Yeah, like, yeah I, think, I don't think those people are going to enthusiastically vote Labour, come what may. Then... I kind of think then it probably does help at the margins because it's just another thing that someone can put aside to go, but the really important thing is to stop Boris. And that is one of the reasons why last week was such an act of political self-harm because you could see like all of the big Remainer kind of media sources were essentially all pivoting to a position of, I don't like the guy, but he wouldn't, but he wouldn't roll up Parliament. And that's mm. really the danger zone that the Conservatives need to avoid and the zone that Labour just need to, to, to make occupy, sure the discourse yeah. is in is just, I don't like the guy, but he's the only way to stop, you know, to stop this guy. And then they can expend their political capital on other people. They should hire you. A, a simple, you'll still get a referendum under Labour and we're the way to stop Boris is, I think, the way they should go. I think I probably wouldn't meet some of the prerequisites for that job. <laughs> You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, and our political correspondent, Alva Ray. It's recorded by Emily Bootle and produced by Nick Hilton. Our music is Devil by the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. (laughs) 